Welcome to Sermons from St. David's, a ministry of St. David's Episcopal Church in Southfield, Michigan. It's a chance for us to share a good word of challenge, inspiration, and hope as we walk the journey of faith together. You're welcome to join us on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. for live in-person worship. You can also join our 10 a.m. Eucharist via Zoom. Just go to our website for the meeting ID and password at stdavidssf.org. So let's get this straight. The devil has tried his best to tempt Jesus when Jesus was starving, he hadn't eaten for 40 days. He tried to tempt Jesus when he was tired. He's hiking and spending hot days, cold nights out in the barren wilderness years before there's a Motel 6. And the devil tries to tempt Jesus when he's lonely. Nobody to talk to, nobody keeping company except the devil who's a really negative person to hang around with. And so the devil does his best to entice Jesus, to break his humanity, to compromise his divinity. And he totally, totally fails. And now the devil's going off to wait for a more opportune time. Like when Jesus finishes eating at a sushi restaurant, because I don't care how many pieces of sushi you eat, you always go away hungry. <laughs> or maybe when Jesus is totally exhausted, maybe he's missed his flight to Tel Aviv and he's got to spend a night on one of those airport benches. Yeah. You're exhausted. Or maybe when Jesus is overcome with loneliness, like when he gets home after a hard day of casting out demons, sits down at his computer, turns it on, and the internet's down. I mean, if you can't tempt Jesus when he hasn't eaten for six weeks, haven't seen a soul in three fortnights, and is basically sleeping with lizards on rocks in the middle of the desert for 40 nights in a row, come on. The only way to get Jesus to do what the devil wants him to do is to put him in a place that he'll never go. The only way to get Jesus to do that, to succumb to those temptations, is to put him in a place where he's never gonna go. Because there are four things that we have learned about Jesus and the way he conducted himself, his life and his ministry. And they're the four points that I'd like us to take home from today's sermon. And these are that Jesus was able to successfully combat temptation because he stayed close to God's word, to the words of the Bible, so close that he had to memorize. What happened when the devil came? Boom, 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 scripture, scripture, scripture. The second thing, he took regularly time out of his day, morning and night, to pray. We see this about Jesus' character. Number three, that he made sure that his best friends, his closest companions, his most powerful influences were people and activities and hobbies and music and ambitions that mirrored his hunger and thirst after God. And four, that he made sure that the most important things that he did during the day were for the benefit of other people. Jesus lived a life of service, not to himself, but to those especially who were in need. Those four things. Jesus took those, they were like four strands of a rope that the devil and all the demons of hell could not cut. And when you and I try to understand and imitate this, to live lives rooted in scripture, in prayer, in, in godly influences, in acts of loving assistance, we're going to find a really effective way of getting rid of negative thinking, negative actions, and be able to be the people we want to be, the kind of people this world needs. This sermon is about using age-old disciplines. It's Lent, right? Disciplines and practices 
to tap into the deepest part of us, which is love, and which every one of us came here this morning to learn more about, and to learn more about how to release that love, that deepest part of us, into the world more. I know, I look around, I know how the love comes through all of you, in word, in deed, in action. And we come to them saying, God, I want more. I want to learn more. And I think Jesus wants to teach us more. As you and I begin our Lenten journey, we do well to look at that four-strand rope. And we ask ourselves, is this how we too can avoid the temptations and the tempter? That is so relentless, so nonstop at trying to beat us up, at trying to keep us down, and not make us the born winners that we are, but the losers that the devil wants us to be. It's about tapping into that deepest part of us that is yearning for a deeper connection to God, the source of the strength that we need to live the lives we want to live. Isn't this the time of year that you and I look at those things that will make us more and more the kinds of people we want to be? Followers of Jesus, channels of love, reconcilers, and heralds of encouragement and good news to, let's face it, folks, did you read your paper this morning? To a divisive, self-interested, even war-torn world. We know we can't change other people, but we can change ourselves. We can channel more and more of the goodness of God from that spark of divinity and from that fire of the Holy Spirit into the world. Did anybody have kids or grandkids or little kids home for break uh, this past week or so? We had winter break. We got spring break coming up. For winter break, we did the poor man's international vacation. <laughs> Taco Bell, uh, Panda Express. No, close though. We went out every single night. We stayed home all day. And every single night we went to a different ethnic restaurant in the metro area, Polish, Mexican, Lebanese, Greek. And one thing we discovered that nearly every one of these places has their own distinctive way of making bread. Yeah, flat, fluffy, crispy, puffy. Everybody makes it a bit different, but it's basically the same thing, each its own scrumptiously original take on the world's most popular food. During our Ash Wednesday services, our liturgy invited us to a Holy Lent. And one of the things it invited us to do is to make more room in our lives for Holy Scripture. Some of us do that with morning devotions. Others study the Bible in, Greeks, in, in groups, rather, like we encourage you to do to join our Tuesday 12 noon lunchtime Bible study, available on Zoom. And others use the prayer book, which is chock full of prayers and liturgies all rooted in scripture. Why? Because scripture is the bread of the Christian life, the foundation of our theology, the heart of our faith, the essential nourishment of our spirits. And it comes to us in various forms, flat, fluffy, puffy. We consume it in various ways. And that's, I think, a challenge for scripture for you and me this morning as we approach Lent. How are we going to consume scripture? For Jesus in today's passage, it was the secret weapon he used to beat back the devil, using verse after verse to remind the tempter of what was true and what wasn't. For us, how can we use Lent to make scripture a more central part of our lives? That's one of my Lent goals. How is God calling us to get more serious about the Bible? What kind of decision can we make today about that? Prayer. My earliest remembrances. 
I was in elementary school. I would count the mass with my dad at St. Regis down the street. And we received communion. He knelt down about the third row. And I looked over at my dad and said, Hey, what are we supposed to do? He said, Pray. I said, What's that? And he said, This just be very quiet, listen to God, and talk to God. That's amen if I've heard it. That is the perfect time to say amen there, Alex. And I will tell you that 50 years, two ordinations, and two theology degrees later, I'm still trying to find a better definition than that. Be very quiet, listen to God, and talk with God. In what language? A Roman emperor named Charles V, he once said, I talk to women in Italian. I talk to men in French. I talk to my host in German. And I talk to God in Spanish. My friend Henry likes to remind me that Jesus didn't have a special language set aside to converse with God. He valued simplicity and directness. Jesus' starting point is an unparalleled understanding of God's love for us. God knows us more deeply than we can imagine, and so Jesus warns against babbling away in prayer, imagining that wonderful displays of long, complicated words, delicately refined statements, or inane repetitions might somehow do the trick. No, what did Jesus say? He told his disciples to use the word Abba, which the church has made into the more starchier, our father. But Abba is simply the name any Hebrew child uses for daddy. Jesus encourages us to be ourselves when we pray, to open our hearts with a childlike trust and approach God unafraid of who we are and how we say things. No, Jesus didn't have a special language set aside for talking to God. He trusted that God was already listening. That makes things easy for you and me as we contemplate how we can make prayer a bigger part of our lives. What does that look like? Where can we begin? What can we do today to start? Did any of you hear of that recent transplant of a pig's heart into a human? Hear about that? It's about eight weeks ago. David Bennett, age 57, from Maryland, had been suffering with bad heart for years. Two doctors, after many years of waiting for FDA approval, successfully took the heart of a pig and transplanted it into David's chest. The pig's heart had been harvested just hours earlier, but was placed on ice. The surgeon, Dr. Bartley Griffiths, having cracked open the patient's rib cage and made all the necessary preparations, opened the cooler and he was handed the pig's heart and he confesses that he felt rather doubtful. Dr. Griffiths said that heart looked small. It had taken on a grayish tone and didn't look like the hundreds of human hearts that he had successfully transplanted during his career. Nevertheless, he made the necessary adjustments, made the necessary attachments, and, and breathed a sigh of relief as he saw that heart take on color and size and begin to adjust to its new environment. While born into a pig, it was working quite well in a human being. Under close monitoring and after numerous medicinal adjustments, David was finally released from the hospital. He continues to, to, to do well. It appears that the heart of that pig, while created to flourish in a totally different environment, has found that it can survive, perhaps even thrive, someplace else. 
The malleability of that pig's heart is not too different, my friends, from you and me. As we also have the ability to adjust and conform and adapt to lots of different environments. So we ask ourselves if the environment we are choosing now to inhabit is going to keep our hearts healthy and even happy. Jesus understood how malleable we are, how much a product of our environment we tend to be, and how choosing our influences, choosing the things we read, the things we listen to, the people we hang around, are actually very big decisions because they deeply affect who we are, what we say, our priorities, what we do, and how we look at the world. Can we ask ourselves this length? Who are we spending the most time with? What are we allowing to influence us? Can we do an inventory of those things that are having a doorway into our lives? Because we know we can close them and we can open them. What are we allowing to influence us? And have we thought how much control we have over them? Well, as you may know, four days ago, Ash Wednesday, uh, my son said, what my son? He said, Dad, look, I sell my ashes on. Dad, son, that was four days ago. You do something about that now. I know, only a 12-year-old, right? It's a, uh, it's a three-day old ashes. Four days ago, we held our eighth annual. Jake, can you believe it? Eight years ago? Eight years ago, drive through ashes, 7 a.m. to 6 o'clock, Deacon Donna, Food pantry manager Mike, Kathy, Richard, Lori, Lee gave ashes to 600 people, collected donations we never even asked for, for about 800 bucks. This was the biggest and busiest day we've ever had doing drive through ashes. And we thank members of the media, especially broadcast, who have chosen to highlight this event, which we concocted not to bless ourselves, but to bless other people. An event that each one of you supports by your participation in this community. You weren't giving out ashes Wednesday, folks, but you were giving out ashes. It's your generosity, God's grace, and your generosity that made this happen. We blessed people like Mario. I met in our driveway, a middle-aged man who pulled up and, and when asked what we might pray for, he began to tear up as he talked about his college-aged daughter, his oldest daughter, his only daughter, who had recently started dating somebody who, in his opinion, was leading her down the wrong path, and he was broken with concern. We closed our eyes, we prayed, and while the ashes of repentance and renewal were meant to take center stage, the peace of the Holy Spirit came along. Funny how the Holy Spirit works like that. The peace of the Holy Spirit came along, assuring us God's near. God will take care of things. We were both touched as God was present in that place, in that moment, to bless us both. Mario, like all of us, appreciates when other people think of us, when other people pray for us, when other people serve us. And what we find out is that we are the ones who are blessed when we choose to serve. I think Jesus knew this when he told us that the greatest among you is the least, is the servant. And there's a very good argument that this is how Jesus kept healthy, folks. Jesus woke up day after day. Who can I help? What can I do? We don't hear him praying for Cadillacs. We don't hear him believing God for even healing in his own life. We hear him consumed with the cares of other people. Paul would go on to write about that, put first the interests of others. I think it's because Jesus knew we'd be happier when that happened. 
And so you and I ask ourselves, in what ways are we consistently thinking of others this morning? As we look at our conversations, our bank accounts, our memberships, our interactions, in what ways does selflessness replace selfishness? How is God calling us to better serve? This time of year, you know, it's always the first Sunday we get this temptation reading. And Kristen, you probably have heard it a million times because I always quote Oscar Wilde. He said, I can resist anything except temptation. Because he speaks for all of us. Do you feel like you're in a rut someplace in your life? Do you keep making the same poor choice over and over again? Hopelessly mired in habits and temptations that are impossible seemingly to resist? The example of Jesus that we get today shows us that we don't have to. The good news of the gospel is that we can change. We can follow Jesus' example. We talked about neural pathways in our Bible study just a little while ago, excuse me, in our, in our nine o'clock meeting, and talked about ways the brain makes, makes uh, pathways in our mind. It takes a long time, but it can change even scientifically. But we can follow Jesus' example. What? He successfully, one rather, he successfully shunned temptation because he closed, he's chose to, stow, to stay close to Scripture, to the words of the Bible, so close that he had to memorize and to come up with them at the drop of a hat. Secondly, he regularly took time out of his day to pray, morning, noon, and night. Jesus was a person of prayer. Third, he made sure that his best friends, his closest companions, most powerful influences were people and activities and hobbies and music and ambitions that mirrored the hunger and thirst for God that he had in his heart. And fourth, he made sure that the most important things he did during the day were for the benefits of other people. Jesus lived a life of service, not to himself, but to those especially who were in need. Friends, God doesn't like to see us. God, beloved children, do you even know how loved you are? Do we have any idea how much God loves us? When you think God becoming human, sending his son, parents and grandparents out there know what that's like, to be in harm's way. This is the depth of God's love for us. God doesn't like to see us sad, worried, beaten up and held down, handcuffed with fear, anxiety, stress, and strain that come from regularly losing the battle and giving in to the temptations that befall us. Jesus said it clearly, John 10, I came to bring you life and life more abundantly. The four strands of scripture, prayer, influence, charity, invite us to come to a better place to use our discipline, intelligence, to use our fortitude, to use what we have. If we're partners with God, we bring something to the table. And it is our discipline, our intelligence, our fortitude, and to partner with what? With God's grace. God's grace and power to overcome the obstacles, the obstacles before us, to make us better and to make the world better. Yeah, God loves us. Jesus loves us, but God so loves the world. We can change, folks. We can turn over whatever it is you're facing this morning. For Christianity has not been tried lacking. It has been found difficult and therefore not tried. Friends, how are we going to try Christianity this week? The scripture says, draw close to God. God will draw close to us. What does that look like for you and me today? When I come up here on Sunday, folks, believe me, I have done a rigorous moral inventory on prayer, on scripture, on influence, on the different ways that God invites us to draw closer and to fight temptation. This is not something I don't preach to myself. 
In doing so, can we even imagine the world of health, joy, and newness that awaits? When we look at how we draw closer to God, can we even imagine the health and joy and newness that awaits? Well, there's only one way to find out, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.